Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Joining me, as always, is Niall Kitson, our tech guru at Tech Central Towers. Um, Niall, you're going to love the interview that I have for this week because I'm speaking to a real live astronaut. This is kind of your dream come true, really, isn't it? If I had actually met him face to face, maybe. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> it was a Skype interview, and uh, and it was much shorter than the uh, the two days I would have liked to have talked to the man. <laughs> but I absolutely enjoyed it, and there were some real surprises in there. But anyway, that, that, that's all coming in about ten minutes' time. But uh, we've got two big stories this week that we're just going to have a quick chat about first, as we have coffee. Uh, and I suppose, do you want to go with Google or do you want to go with Petya first? Which do you fancy? Okay, well. Let's let's go with Google because I think it's probably the two. Sh- uh, it's probably the shorter story of the two. Mm. Um, so uh, you've read this. I've read this. Um, what's the short version? Well, uh, basically, the EU have said to Google, uh, "You're way too big," and because you are putting people who pay you at the top of your searches, uh, that's not right. Because you're in a dominant position, you're abusing it, and because of that, we're going to fine you 2.4 billion euro, which, of course, to Google uh, is nothing. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you're, it's a yes and no there. Uh, okay, for, first of all, yes, the EU has slapped Google with a, a 2.4 billion fine, and there's um, there's another rider on top of that. If you if they don't pay up within 90 days, um, they face additional fines of five percent of their average daily worldwide sales. Mm-hmm. So this is this could be super expensive. At least do, on do paper. You know, I mean. Do you know how much that is? <laughs> it's it, look it's, it's a lot of money it's 14 million euro a day a day i mean gosh i mean it's that's... google i mean the numbers are just you, you, they're so fantastic uh, that you just you forget about the numbers the numbers are irrelevant really when you're talking to google aren't they yeah that's true so okay the reason why google got in trouble yep you're you're largely right there about uh, advertising if you're a store and you're advertising with google you will get your search results bumped up such as the way of the world that's the way google say they advertise things that's the advertising slots that Google have now. You remember they used to be off to the side, so you could still, you know, read various things because you know when you have a browser and you work in metrics, uh, which you have before, um, you know that basically the fold is your enemy. It's like the point at which you have to physically scroll down the screen. Most people have gone. They're, they've either made a decision on what they're going to click on um, by the time they actually get to the end of the page, let, let alone before the time they start scrolling. So, you know, the lower half of screen real estate is it's not a good place to be. Regard, you know, forget about, you know, page two, page three, page four. Most people will just look at their Google results from above the page. And if a lot of people are advertising for a product in that particular space, well, then you're in a lot of trouble. You're probably not going to make it there. Now, that's, you know, Google have effectively a monopoly on search. So the EU is naturally going to look at them very closely from an an antitrust perspective, very much in the same way they looked very closely at Microsoft and Intel a couple of years ago. 
and they dished out what was then a record fine um, again for a similar thing that you know AMD weren't getting a fair shake Linux wasn't getting a fair shake when it came to operating systems which is now when you go to you know Dell websites you, you have the option of AMD chips or or Linux um, so uh, basically uh, as you say Google were doing something similar but and here here is the real problem Google also operate their own shops right so Whenever there's a search result and Google operate a shop in that space, of course, Google are going to put it at the top because it's theirs and it's taking up real estate. It's pushing other things down below the fold. And, you know, regardless of actual relevance, you are actually getting Google's own search result. Then whoever is spending money with them. And that's where the problem was. And now, you see, on one side of things, I would say that Google is a commercial entity, it's a commercial business, and of course that's what they should do. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Hey, we own this massive search engine, and when people search for things, we're going to put our own shop service so they buy from us first. That's to me, is natural. But what I think is interesting about this story is that Google has become so big. It's like 90% of searches in the EU are now done via Google. And that's the problem. Exactly. If if you own a business, you have nowhere else to go. You have to play by Google's rules. Exactly. All right. And I think that's where it's actually quite good, where people like the EU will step in then and say, well, hang on a minute now. There needs to be some sense of fair play because there is no real other option for people. So you need... to play fair. And I, I think it's interesting that, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have Google. <laughs> Look at Yahoo. <laughs> no, but, no, but think about it. Like 20 years ago, Google was just like it was an idea that, that somebody had. And now look at it. Google is at the center of our society. The yeah. things that people tell Google, you use Google for email, you use it for your maps, you, you watch videos on YouTube, you use it for search. It, it's such a, and now Google are trying to be even more part of your life with, you know, with the speaker options that they're trying to get into people's homes with the Google Chromecast for your TV and everything like that. I mean, Google is, it's, you know, becoming very much like a very close uncle <laughs> or a parent. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. A benevolent overseer, if you will. Oh, benevolent overseer. George Orwell would love to hear you say that. (laughs) And I think that's that's, I think that's kind of what we're getting to, because uh, they are just so big. Who's going to take them on? And it's only, you know, kind of, you know, the the federal government of the USA could take them on or the EU will be able to take them on. Uh, What I was thinking about was uh, was Ireland. Can you imagine? This is what I love about the EU, right? Uh, if we in Ireland kind of went, that's not really fair, and the Irish government decided to do something about it with Google, Google would probably just, you know, smack Leo around the <laughs> around the ears and say, go away, little boy. Do you know what I mean? Well, just say, no, we're not doing that. Yeah, exactly. You know, whereas when the EU go in, it's like, oh, it's a whole different uh, ball game. And it's fascinating to me that the EU can turn around and fine Google X billion euro. How? <laughs> And yeah. why would Google play? You know, if I was an American company and someone in the EU told me to pay a fine, I'd go, go away. <laughs> well, this, this is the power of markets. I mean, the EU is a market, what, 320 million mm. people? Mm. You know, that's an awful lot of revenue. That's your leverage right there. Yeah. And um, this is why the general data protection regulation is so important. Mm. Um, you know, companies, American companies in particular, because this is this is just how they operate. They, they see data very differently to um, how the EU and how customers in general want to see their data um 
you know, you need the leverage of a large market to make something happen. Mm. Listen, big question is, what do you think Google are going to do next? Do you think they'll abide by it? Do you think they'll appeal? They, of course, they're going to appeal. I mean, they can afford to appeal for one. Uh, also, this goes to the heart of their business model, so they, they can't not appeal. They might argue the, down the EU on, we'll say, you know, the amount that they have to pay. Um, they might look at repositioning ads. Uh, they might look at um, maybe putting their own ads in the footers or something like that. I, I honestly don't know. But um, yeah, certainly something is going to come of it. it the, the EU is not one for letting things be, you know, brushed under the carpet. Well, I, uh, for one, uh, I'm happily sitting back and watching the uh, the great and powerful being dealt with. <laughs> as, as we all should. Yeah, as we all I, should. I think it's quite interesting. The other uh, big story, of course, uh, this week was the one that broke on, uh, uh, was it on Tuesday, I think, uh, about this new virus coming out of the Ukraine. What do we know about that? Uh, well, the new old virus. I mean, the that's, new old that's, virus. <laughs> the new old virus. I mean, let's let's look at a timeline here. Um, in March, uh, Microsoft leaked uh, a patch for a vulnerability in Windows Server and Windows called uh, Eternal Blue. And you might have gone, okay, right, well, Microsoft does regular patches, so what's what's so interesting about this? Well, in April, a group of hackers or hacktivists, we don't, we're not entirely sure which, called the Shadow Brokers, leaked some uh, software uh, developed by the NSA, which targeted this Eternal Blue um, vulnerability. And everyone was like, oh, okay, right, that's kind of interesting. And Microsoft came out and said, look, don't worry, a patch was issued by this already. If you're keeping up to date with your patches, this is nothing to worry about. Guess what? <laughs> Turns out a lot of people weren't terribly interested or capable of updating their patches. Uh, so on the 12th of May, we had the WannaCry incident, sort of the global um, incident, traced back to North Korea, I believe, where um, this ransomware attack began. And the idea was that, like with all ransomware, it locks your computer until you pay a ransom in Bitcoin usually between $300 and, and $600. Um, uh, and of course, Bitcoin being non-traceable, basically, you know, as far as you're concerned, it disappears down a hole and you may or may not get your computer back. Um, so, okay, that ended after uh, some really crack work by some um, security uh, professionals. And of course, everyone went, okay, that's it, you know, right, this this could be, you know, the shape of things to come. So let's just get our patches up to date. So, yep, 27th of June, attack number two with the Petya ransomware which is a close relative of WannaCry using the exact same vulnerability that's the crazy bit we've been hit a month ago and a month later the exact same thing happens again and using the exact same methods now the the only thing that's different this time is that in the way WannaCry just went global uh, and worked too well I think uh, as far as some some people were concerned. Um, Petya seems to be localized to the Ukraine. Now, there there have been systems affected in uh, Russia, Spain and Poland. So it hasn't been entirely, um, uh, entirely contained. But um, it, ha- it was started in the Ukraine and seemed to have um, concentrated its efforts on utilities, governments. And um, in some cases, um, the uh, ransomware was spread through a dodgy update to some Ukrainian accounting software. Okay. <laughs> Which kind of makes sense, you know, as a, as a vector for getting it out there. Um, 
but you know there there has been um, casualties I suppose beyond that in, our, in Ireland Merck Pharmaceuticals was affected also the, the sort of international shipping company Maersk has been uh, affected um, and this time they're looking for some, around a $300 ransom otherwise you, you get your mm. uh, computer shut down but um, this malware this um, malware is also stealing user credentials off your computer as well um, so you know even even if you get your computer freed up mm. um, they've they, they've already captured something for um, for use later on down the line but I mean it's so frustrating that this is exactly the same problem as from a few weeks as from yeah a few weeks ago and you still have systems out there that haven't been properly patched now whether this is lazy IT departments or IT professionals that are just sick of their jobs and aren't terribly interested with you know keeping things up to date mm. it's a, a, it's pretty frustrating i mean if you if and and you know granted this time around it, it, the scope isn't as international as it was so i when the reporting started um we were talking about this earlier on the bbc it was like oh here we go another global incident and uh, it hasn't been on that scale well i think the uh, the important thing for us to to take away from this is that these viruses get out onto the internet and they're able to propagate themselves and to just grow and get into all kinds of machines and who's to say that it's not going to get into your machine or my machine and we're going to turn it on one day and we're going to get that black screen and it says the reason you're seeing this screen is because your files have been encrypted you would poo in your pants if you saw that <laughs> and it's absolutely so i mean the, the the one thing we've said it many many times uh, on the show and i always say it to people um and at the uh, people who listen to this program i think know these things but please just remind your friends who are not as tech savvy as we are don't click on dodgy attachments on email. Uh, and, and you know, some of these dodgy attachments can look very convincing. Oh, absolutely. They, they are so good. Yeah, you've, you've got to just double check everything so, so carefully, like, you know. No, uh, it can also, look like a mail from your friend. It mm, could say this is an update from. It could say yeah. this is an order from Amazon. This is, you know, verify your Google account. Yeah. Uh, you know, trust there are nobody. Trust little, nobody. Little tips and tricks. Little tips and tricks. Uh, if it has gone into your spam folder... <laughs> it's probably not genuine. <laughs> the clue is that it's in your spam folder. <laughs> the uh, the other thing then is uh, just to make sure you've got some kind of antivirus uh, stuff on your computer um, and then to make sure that your computer is up to date. And I suppose one of the good things with uh, Microsoft uh, Windows 10 is that it automatically updates. There's no way that you can get out, out, away with not updating the, the machine. So that's kind of good. Um, Windows 7. And then, uh, and then the, the main thing, and this is what a lot of people don't realize, is they will do backups and they'll have backups on Dropbox or something like that. And they go, ah, I'm sorted. If one of these viruses get on your machine, it will affect the files that you have stored on Dropbox as well, because Dropbox is permanently connected to your machine. Right, right. So what I do, not often enough, but I do do it, is I take an entire copy of my hard drive and I copy it to a USB external drive and then I unplug the external drive. That's it. Nothing's going to get at it. So if I do get infected, at least I'll have some kind of a recent backup where I can get all my recent files. And and, and And make sure you have a CD copy of your operating system so you can do a fresh install. Yeah, or, the, well, CD copy. You're showing your age there, and I'll give you my God. <laughs> or a USB copy. Thank or you, whatever USB works. disc. 
<laughs> I've got a drawer full of the things with all kinds of uh, copies on it. Listen, that's our chat for uh, uh, for today. Let's get into our uh, interview for the week. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. If you are in any way interested in space, you absolutely have to know more about this summer's Space Studies Programme at the Cork Institute of Technology. This is where people with a serious career in space come to learn from people who have actually done it. And thankfully for us, some of these lectures and events are open to the public. You'll get full details on the website at SSP. 17.ie for uh, Space Studies Programme 17. One of the star attractions, if you'll pardon the pun, is astronaut Dan Tanny, who has spent a total of 132 days in space over two missions. And one of those was a four-month stay on the International Space Station. Of course, it's impossible to stay in a small space like that for uh, such a long time. So he went for a few spacewalks while he was at it, as you do. When it comes to people who've been there and done that, Dan is pretty much top of the list. So the opportunity for me to interview him was unmissable. And like many people, I'm a massive fan of space and what it must be like to go there. So I began our short Skype chat by asking, what's it like to be strapped into the space shuttle at T minus 10 seconds? That's a great question. And, and, uh, you, yeah, so picture that you're strapped in, you've been on your back for hours, and not only that, you have simulated this moment for dozens and dozens of times, and so when the engine start process happens, you know exactly what the simulator looks like, you know exactly what the instruments are supposed to do, and they in the simulator they even try to, to give you these sounds and sort of the feel of, of what it's like. Uh, there's a moment, probably a few minutes before the engine start, where... I, I'll say me, realize, holy cow, I'm in the frickin' space shuttle. <laughs> and and until then, of course you knew that you were in the real space shuttle, but until then it felt just like another simulation because you've done it so many times. And you're with your friends, your crewmates that you've been with, and so everything seems very familiar. Uh, but there is a moment where you just realize that uh, you got to put the game face on and this is uh, the real deal. And so... When you watch that clock count down, because when we run simulations, we'll run them from about L minus five minutes or, or 10 minutes. And so you watch the clock count down, just like you always did. And then uh, you, you'll, you'll, but you notice things are just a little bit different because you're in the real space shuttle. So, so there are some noises that are different, some feelings that are different. At six seconds, when those engines start, that L minus six seconds is when the engines start. And so when your engine is starting, everybody is focusing on the gauges because we're watching those engines come up to speed. We want to make sure that uh, the computers and all the engines uh, are in agreement that, that everything is working correctly. But you get a rumble. And they try to simulate that in the sim, but, but it's not as good. And you can, feel this, this, you can feel the whole shuttle move a little bit because of the force of those engines, and, but the whole thing is still bolted down. Um, and then what you can also notice is in your... If you're looking out the window, you can see the billowing smoke out the window as those engines are creating tons and tons of steam. And so when, you're, uh, when the solid rocket motors unite and you are pushed off the launch pad, uh, it's, there's not a great amount of acceleration. So you're not, you're not pushed. You're not, you're not thrown back into your seat. You're, you're firmly pressed back in your seat because the shuttle cannot accelerate very fast because it's so heavy. It weighs four and a half million pounds on the launch pad. But every second, fuel is being used, and it's getting lighter and lighter. And so the 
the force on your body grows and grows and grows. It grows to about three times the acceleration of gravity. And then it feels like three of you are sitting on your chest. Three, three, three people of your weight are, is on your chest. And breathing becomes uh, something you consciously do. You, you actually have to pull the air in and then, and then exhale. And then uh, you reach for the switch and your arm feels heavy. And so that's the, that's the accelerations that we're exp- exposed to. But it's not delibit- uh, de- uh, de- debilitating. It's not... Uh, violent. Uh, you, we shake a lot during first stage, and uh, but it's more exciting than it is scary. It's it's uh, it's it, but it's it gets your attention. I mean, you were you were definitely being thrown into space. And how about that transition then from uh, three people sitting on your chest to when you are just about to go into orbit and you're starting to feel the effects of zero gravity? Well, you don't. Uh, so it it happens like that because. You're being accelerated, accelerate, accelerate at three times the acceleration of gravity. And then right at the exact millisecond, the engines shut off. And then, uh, and then you are in, instantly in zero gravity. Um, now, I had heard people talk about being thrown into your straps and then you're weightless. Uh, I was strapped in so well that even when we turned off the engines and, and we were essentially at that moment floating in space, it didn't really feel like I was floating in space because I was strapped in so well. But the beauty is that you take your procedure and you hold your procedure book up and you let go and it floats right in front of you and the pencil floats right in front of you. And that's the moment where you, you go, holy cow, I'm in space. <laughs> Tell me, we've all seen the view from uh, from space and videos and, and pictures and stuff like that. When you're actually there looking at the window down at Earth, yeah. what's, what's going through your mind? Oh, it's well, first of all, the planet Earth is magnificently beautiful in uh, in all different ways even the middle of the ocean the pacific ocean or the atlantic ocean we spend a lot of time over the ocean there's not much to see but the just the expanse of uh, of the oceans and you can see the waves um or icebergs if you're near this or the south pole uh in, in the south uh but the but the lands are you know asia looks so much different than africa which looks so much different than the americas and australia's magnificently beautiful there's always something to look at it's always breathtaking how beautiful the earth is and it 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 gives me just sense of, a sense of pride of of planet you know i'm so proud to be from this planet that's that's the citizenship that I feel as as I look out the window. It's interesting that you say that you're proud to be from this planet. Has that view changed the way you think? It hasn't. It's, uh, you know, I, I have a real appreciation of being a, a human from Earth, and uh, uh, I try to make sure that that's the citizenship I have an allegiance to rather than a citizenship of a nation or a belief or a any any kind of other uh, affiliation and and it's I wish that I could and I you know I, I knew that before I went to space but when I went to space and looked at the earth as a whole it it filled me with that sense of pride and I wish I could I wish everybody on earth could could do that because maybe the priority of how of the citizenship they feel would would grow into a planetary, you know, a citizenship of Earth rather than a citizenship of a, of a political boundary. What yes. I was thinking about was when you're doing the spacewalks, because you've done a lot of spacewalks as well, what does it feel like to be away from the safety of the spacecraft? You were literally just in a suit. You were just one man. You were floating there in the ether. Uh, it's quite... Um you know, I will say frightening, but when you think of the, of of the the consequences of you screwing up, 
uh, it's quite uh, humbling. <laughs> it's quite somber, right? So uh, we we take great precaution, and you know the rule of the number one rule of spacewalk is don't let go of the spacecraft. And uh, so we make sure that we don't do that, and we are safety tethered in and everything. So we've taken all the safety precautions. Plus, the suit is very complicated, and it's protecting us from the harsh environment of space, and it, it has to work well. And so there is an overwhelming sense of uh, danger or of threat that we are aware of, but but we're also very concentrating on uh, we're concentrating very well on what our job is out there. We have a job to do. We're fixing something or adjusting something, and so uh, that really fills your thoughts once you're outside. Uh, but once you come back in, you you realize the uh, sort of harsh environment that you were exposed to and the the, uh, the closeness of uh, danger. Sorry about the background noise here. It's okay. Tell me about the return to Earth then, because that is, is also quite a, a violent procedure when you're going from orbit and then you're coming back in and the friction with, uh, uh, with right. the atmosphere and, and the flames going past the window. What's that like? Sure. Now, I landed on the space shuttle uh, for both of my missions, and the space shuttle, although a a very violent and very uh, adventurous uh, re-entry, is nowhere near as violent as a Soyuz entry. But the shuttle comes in, looks like a glider, but it kind of re-enters the atmosphere, uses the atmospheric drag to slow itself down, and does some... Uh, is a bit able to use its wings to do some turns so that it lines up at the runway and lands like a, an airplane. And, and at most, you get about uh, one and a half to two times the acceleration of gravity. Two Gs um, uh, is pretty much the most that you get as you come around turning towards the runway. Now, on the space, on, on the Soyuz, which is a capsule, um, when it comes in, those folks are exposed to four, five, maybe six Gs. Uh, they've gone up to nine Gs if it's a. It's called a ballistic entry, but the, and uh, my friends that have come back on a Soyuz say that it's like a car wreck, that uh, you were thrown around that thing. It is a very violent experience, and uh, I, I uh, good or bad, I've never been able to uh, experience that firsthand. I, both my entries were in the shuttle, so in a relative sense, very mild, very controlled entries. I'm a big fan of uh, science fiction movies and space movies uh, and and the like. You're a man who's actually done it. I'm interested to know, are you a fan of that genre? And if so, what's your favorite science fiction movie? (laughs) Now, to be honest, actually, I'm not a science fiction fan. I I just never, it never resonated with me. And uh, I enjoy, uh, you know, Star Wars and, and some of the movies, but but uh, I am not a big fan of the genre, so I, I know that people have high expectations when they talk to me about their favorites, uh, and I, it, it's just no, nothing, it just never stuck with me. How about the, uh, the movie Gravity with uh, George uh-huh. Clooney? Have you seen that, and, and how realistic was it compared with your actual experience? So I did see it, and uh, I'm blown away at the visuals. I think the visuals are spectacular, the way they uh, show uh, the dynamics of how spacewalkers move and uh and the the the, what the earth looks like from from their vantage point uh from the spacecraft or from eva of course the story is more or less ridiculous in terms of the physics of what's going on uh but it was an exciting movie i really enjoyed it it brought me back to space in that the visuals were so good well listen one final question for you uh what is it you are going to be doing at the summer of space uh i'm uh i'm I'm going to be doing a, a panel discussion, a national panel discussion on July 4th uh, here at CIT. And then I'm going to be doing a few appearances in Dublin, uh, I think the weekend of the 15th. I'll be up there um, uh, doing a, a Q&A uh, session and also uh, 
uh, we're watching a fantastic movie produced uh, by uh, somebody in Ireland um, about uh, the uh, a deep a deep space probe. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Well, listen, Dan, uh, I will leave it there because uh, the Skype connection is, is not great and you're busy and you've got to talk to RT now and all kinds of things. But listen, it has truly, truly been an honor for me to, uh, uh, to speak with you. And thank you so much for your time. OK, thank you very much. Honor's mine, really. And as Dan mentioned, he will be part of the astronaut panel taking questions from the public at the Cork Institute of Technology on July the 4th. Tickets are free and you can register online for those. If you can't make that, absolutely do check out the Space Studies Programme website anyway because there's a whole load of things going on right up until the end of August. The website again is ssp17.ie. Now, just before we go this week, uh, Niall is still with us. Our one more thing, Niall, one story on the website we couldn't squeeze into the show. What is it? Yeah, well, something Google related just to wrap up the show. The show, you know, they, they can be a force for good as well. And this is a quick story about explainable AI and uh, whether AI is actually explainable. You can get more on that and all the Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show online and broadcast every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1X. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson and Tech Central, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.